Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Thanks again for being here. We've been in a series called Now What? Now What? And uh, really, it's, it really was birthed out of this idea that, that when Easter happens, man, we had an incredible Easter week with the family Lord's Supper in the home and then our good Friday service and then uh, multiple services on Easter Sunday morning. We saw God do something really special around here. And then we realized one of the questions people ask, well, what do I do after that? What do I do? Now what do I do? And sometimes it's moments like that at Easter where people's hearts come to life for the very first time. And they're like, what do I do now? Uh, sometimes it's people that have been believers for a long, long time and God begins to spark and stir and to shine his light uh, into areas of your heart. And you ask the question, now what do I do with that? How do I grow through that? And so over the last several weeks, we've just taken that idea, now what do we do? And we've been looking at it from a lot of angles. First week, we talked about before we can move forward, we've got to put our past behind us. Right? We said if your past is never dealt with, if your past is never, never reconciled, then that past leaks its way into our present and it begins to shape our future. So we looked at King David and how he made a horrible decision. And so we were in Psalm 51. And then the next week we came back and said, sometimes it's not just pain from the past that keeps us from experiencing what God has for us, but sometimes it's fear of the future. Sometimes we, we look at all of what could be or should be in front of us and we think, man, I don't know how that's gonna be. And so we get so anxious. We get so worked up. We, we start thinking, man, I don't know what's gonna happen. So we have so much fear that we miss what God wants to do now. And so last week, Pastor Chuck came back and said, all right, we talked about pain from the past and fear of the future, but how do you focus on now? And so if you missed it last week, I really think last week was some of Pastor Chuck's best stuff ever, right? I mean, he was just totally in the zone, in, in the elements. So if you missed it last week, please go back and listen to the podcast. You can go to sugarhill.church or you can pull up the Sugar Hill Church app and uh, play that. But it's a really, really powerful week. And so this week, we want to do the wrap all of that up together and talk about what does it mean to live that way now? What does it mean to live that way now? Now, real quick, before we dive into the text this morning, uh, let me put a phone number up on the screen. If you've got questions about this morning's message, or you've got questions about anywhere we've been in this series, please text those into that number. Just text them into that number. And uh, over this next week or so, I'm going to try to tackle some of the most asked questions uh, through our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. So if you've got a question about today, or you've got a question about where we've been in the series, just take that number down and text it sometime today or in the next couple of days, and we'll do our best to answer the, the top questions that we hear from that. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out and be finding Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, but you've got an iPhone or a tablet or some sort of smart device, you can download our app and we've got scripture linked in there, or you can get the YouVersion Bible app and follow along. Um, but this morning, we're in Psalm 37. We're asking this question, how do we live this out now? Because the now what has that first word, now. God wants us to live now, where we're at with what we have. And I was thinking about this, that in a lot of our lives, the reason why the now what is so crazy is because there's a disconnect oftentimes between what we know and how we live. 
Isn't that true? There's often this disconnect, there's this barrier between what we know and how we live. And so because of that, our lives get out of alignment. Our lives get out of alignment. And just like in a car where the the alignment's off, your life begins to pull in the wrong direction and it begins to wear you down and it begins to cause more maintenance than, than, than desired or designed, that when our lives are out of alignment, when we're pulling hard the wrong direction, when our head and our hearts aren't lined up, it leads to a lot of friction, it leads to a lot of angst, it leads to a lot of anxiety. And so really the secret of all of this is to begin to say, I wanna live a life of alignment. I wanna live a life of alignment. So here's, here's a crazy example. So I was thinking about where, you know, it's great to say all this, that misalignment happens when we know better, but we don't do better. And I was like, all right, that's great to say, but where do I see that in my own life? Let me give you a silly example. How, how many of you, after the new year, you got back into the gym, you got back into the gym? Anybody? I hear some laughing. I hear some nudging. I see some of that. Yeah. So uh, after the new year, everybody always makes these big plans. They're like, all right, I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat right. And I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to do it right. And so here's what happens for me. So I work out down the road at Bodyplex. And uh, what, what happens is most of the time I work out by myself, but about once a month, Laura comes and works out with me, which is awesome. And so I remember one time we went and worked out together and right after our workout, we went across the street to IHOP. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Right, sometimes we got that misalignment. So for the last couple of months, I've been trying to, uh, I've just made a commitment in general over the last couple of years. I wanna live a healthier life. I wanna live a healthier life. And so I've made decisions. And so most of the time I make good decisions now about what I eat. I wanna stay away from carbs and all that stuff and all that evil stuff that's so tasty, right? And so I've, I've made this general commitment. I wanna live a healthier life. But then not long ago, we were out of town. And it seems like when I'm out of town, I leave all of that behind in Sugar Hill. Do you know what I'm saying? Do y'all ever do that? So we were out of town. And so literally the first night we're out of town, I had pizza for supper. The next night we were out of town, I had fish and chips, nothing about fried fish and fried fries (laughs) that's healthy, right? And then literally sometime during the week, I had five guys. Do y'all like five guys? I had five guys three days out of that week. If I have a heart attack this morning, you know what it is, right? There's a defibrillator in the back of the room. So somebody man that thing. Literally five guys, three days, and you're like, what's the big deal with five guys? The meal I get at five guys, just the meal by itself, no refills, no extras, is 2,200 calories. Anybody hungry now? And so in my own life, I see these silly areas of misalignment. I know better, but I don't always do better. And so really the secret of what's what's now, now what, what do we do after this is to say, I wanna bring what I know in line with what I do. If you have your Bibles, look at Psalm chapter 37. This is David writing. So how fitting, we open the series with showing a negative side of David's life. We're closing the series to look at a positive side of his life. But in Psalm 37, David's writing about a frustration I think every one of us feel. David's saying sort of his emotional response is, God, I'm trying to do the right thing. God, I'm trying to figure this out. God, I I don't wanna just know better, I wanna do better. But when I look around me, it seems like all of the wicked are getting ahead. God, when I look around, it seems like the people that don't love you, the people that hate you, 
the people that, that can't stand you, it seems like they're getting ahead, and yet me, I'm trying to do the right thing, and yet it seems like I'm not, I'm not making any progress. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but here's David just being gut-level honest, saying, God, it looks like everybody that is ignoring you is getting ahead. In the middle of Psalm 37, this is the response this is the process of saying, what do I do? With it? Let me just read you two verses to start with, then we'll dive more into it later. But listen to verse four. Yeah, verse four, listen to this first phrase. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. What, what's yourself? Yourself is who you are. Yourself is not the outside. It's not the packaging. It's not the labels. Right? It's not your job, it's not your position, it's not anything external, because oftentimes we label ourselves by what's on the outside. But when he says, delight yourself, he's talking about who you are at the core, who you are on the inside, who it is that you really are when nobody else is looking, when nobody else is around. When you think nobody else is paying attention, he's saying, delight yourself, who you really are in the Lord. And then look at this next phrase at the beginning of verse five. Look at this phrase in verse five. Commit your way to the Lord. Your way. Your way is what you do on the outside. Your way is how you treat the people around you. Your way is the way, way that you go to work every day, the way that you talk to your spouse, the way that you show love to your kids. And so here's what David does right in the middle of this intro. He says, delight yourself, who you are on the inside. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then he goes on to say in verse five, and commit your way to the Lord. He's saying, bring those two areas, what's on the inside of you in alignment with what you do. And so if we're gonna ask this question, now what do I do? How do I live this out? How do I make sure this doesn't just stick in this room on Sundays? Here's what David's saying. He's saying, take who you are on the inside and align it, align it with what you do on the outside. Bring that into alignment. You know what David's saying? He's saying that we've got to begin to live a life of principle. So if you have something to write on, something to write with, if you've got the notes page from the bulletin, or maybe you just want to type it in uh, to your phone we, on the app, we've got a lot on there today. We've got the message slides, we've got all the announcements, we've got the bulletin, but I intentionally did not put message notes in there today because I wanted you to jot these down or type them in today because what I found when I do it, it helps me to process it. When I'm taking notes and Pastor Chuck is teaching, it helps me to process it. So here's the deal. I want to show you why is this so important? Why is it so important to live by principles? Why is it so important not just to be disconnected from the inside and the outside? And reason number one why this is so important is because number one, principles call us, calls us to begin to live righteously. So just write that down. It calls us to righteous living. When we begin to say, I, I, I wanna do the right thing, the reason why this is so important, this is a great practical way to wrap up the series is because anytime we begin to say, I wanna live by godly principles, it calls us to right living. It moves us from being passive. It, it, it moves us from just being onlookers. It, it, it moves us from just sitting in a chair to saying, I wanna participate in what God is doing in my life. See, here's what happens when we begin to live by godly principles is it helps us to realize that the number one thing in our life is our relationship with God. That's it. 
that when we begin to apply the principles of God's word to specific areas of our lives, it calls us to do the right thing because what begins to happen is we begin to see the most important relationship in my life is my relationship with God. We've said it around here before, that in 100 years, it's not gonna matter what house we lived in. In 100 years, it's not gonna matter what kind of car that we drove. In 100 years, it's not gonna matter what school our kids went to. It's not gonna matter if we had the boat or not. It's, none of that's gonna matter, right? We get so worked up now. We get so focused on now. If I just had a better paycheck, a bigger house, if I just had more stuff, but in 100 years, that stuff isn't gonna matter. In 100 years, the only thing that's gonna matter is our relationship with God. And by living by principles, it calls us into right living. This morning, I was in the office pretty early. And uh, sometimes my office is like 400 degrees and sometimes it's 40 degrees. I never know what it's gonna be. I mean, it's really hot or it's really cold. And so this morning it was hot. The, the, the thermostat said like 68, but I don't, it wasn't in my office. It, it was hot in my office. So I've got this little fan in the corners, an oscillating fan. Y'all know what oscillating fans are, right? They get, just keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So this morning while it's going back and forth, I, I was frustrated because every time it came towards me, all of my sermon notes started flying off the desk. But then when it's turning the other way, I'm like feeling 400 degrees in there. And so my head's like following the fan. And so I found myself, I don't know if there's like a hidden camera in there or not, but I found myself going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's a life out of alignment. When we're not applying the principles of God to our life, we're going back and forth. Hey, Sunday, it makes sense. Sunday, I'm taking notes. Sunday, I'm saying, yes, that's true. And then we leave and we oscillate the other direction. I'm gonna do this my own way. I'm gonna live Monday my own way. I'm gonna live Tuesday my own way. And the Sunday comes back around, right? And so what happens when we begin to say, I wanna live by godly principles is number one, it calls us to right living. We, call, we bring that into alignment. Number two, if you're taking notes, it creates responsibility in our life. Living by godly principles, bringing alignment into our life, not only calls us to right living, but it creates responsibility in our lives. What it begins to do is it, it causes us to begin to say, I have an obligation to do something with what I'm hearing. I have an obligation to apply it to my life. I have an obligation to do something, not just hear it, but to do it. A few years ago, I was preaching at a little church in West Tennessee. And we had services all week long, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And I'd get up and I would try to preach my guts out. It was one of those places, West Tennessee, where, where the louder you preach, it's the more serious it is. You know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, so I'm getting all worked up. I'm yelling and spitting, bursting into flames, right? And I'm just preaching my guts out. And man, I, I can't describe to you how frustrating it is when you're in that moment, when, when you just sense that truth in the scripture is, is coming off the page and it's landing in people's lives. And then for it to feel like that truth is just landing flat on the floor. I mean, it's like nobody was paying attention. After the service was over, I'd stand by the door, they'd come by and shake my hand. Hey, that was a great message. One day you're gonna be a great preacher, keep at it, right? And they would just sort of, they would say all these nice things and I appreciate all that. But there's something inside of me that was wanting to say, this wasn't a performance, right? This wasn't just to say a lot of stuff and it to land flat on the ground. The reason why we build everything we do around scripture is because we believe truth is meant to be applied. Does that make sense? But the reason why God gave us his word wasn't just so that we'd have more information, 
but that it would change us from the inside out because what I found in my own life is that when I know truth and I don't apply that truth, that truth begins to spoil. That truth begins to sour. That truth that's great truth and biblical truth begins to, if it's not applied in my life, it begins to grow sour and it creates what the Bible describes as a hard heart. Truth unapplied creates a hard heart. That's why principle-centered living is so important. Why? Because number one, it calls us to right living. Number two, it creates responsibility in our life. Number three, it causes us to reevaluate our lives. It causes us to reevaluate our lives. So as we're applying truth, as we're beginning to say, I don't just wanna hear it, but I wanna do something with it, it causes us to own that truth. It really does. It causes us to own that truth. It causes us to say, as I grow spiritually, it is my personal responsibility to make sure I'm digging into God's word. It's my responsibility to apply what I've heard, that I own it, I take responsibility. And here's what begins to happen. As we apply it to our life, as we allow it to change us, it causes us to reevaluate all the other areas of our life, right? One of the ways that it does this is it causes us to reevaluate our view of God. Who do I believe God to be? Do I just have in my mind this picture that he's a little bit bigger than me, a little bit stronger? Do I just think that he's sort of a big brother? No, 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 no. The more you apply scripture, you begin to look at how do I really view God? And as you do that, as you view how you view God, it causes you to reevaluate how you see yourself. You begin to say, God, what do you say in your word about who I am and who you've created me to be? And then as you do those two things, reevaluate how I see God, reevaluate how I see myself, then it naturally causes us to reevaluate the way that we see and treat other people. On one of our trips, when we were out of town, we were down in Florida, which, do y'all like Florida? Do y'all get to Florida? We love Florida, it's great. Except the one thing that frustrates me is the way that people drive in Florida. I don't know if it's just me, but everybody in Florida goes like 10 miles under the speed limit, they have their blinkers on forever. I don't know if that's a legal turn in Florida. I'm eventually gonna take a left, so I'm just gonna leave it on for five miles. And so this one particular time where in Florida, I was just frustrated by all that. And so I was just walking around just saying, that knucklehead, would they just go? <laughs> that knucklehead, would they just turn? And so by the end of the week, it was just the ongoing joke. I was just gonna turn and call everybody a knucklehead. Please pray for your pastor today, right? And so I'm just walking around, that's a knucklehead, that's a knucklehead. That's, I was like, I'm gonna write a book called You're a Knucklehead and on every page just describe, and then in the back of it, what does a knucklehead look like? And have a mirror of them, right? And then what does a knucklehead get? The last page is like a knuckle sandwich, right? Pastor Ron, would you pray for me this morning? That'd be all right. And so literally, I'm I'm walking around just, you know, a joke by the end of the week, but I was frustrated because I was anxious to get to wherever we were going. And so there's misalignment in my life. There's misalignment between what I know. I believe not just kids, like I said earlier, are created in the image of God, but every single person is created in the image of God. Even that person that drives 10 miles under the speed limit in front of me, even the person with the blinker on the whole time, even the person that parks too close to me, they are made in the image of God. And so you begin to reevaluate your life. But here's the last thing, and here's where I wanna land today. Number four, living a principle-centered life changes our response. It changes our response. Truth is meant to be applied. 
Truth is meant not just to live on a page, but to live in our hearts. Truth is not just meant to make us smarter and bolder and more judgmental. Truth is made to change the way that we respond to the life that we're living. Let me show you this this morning, and then I'm going to throw this on our website later this week. But underneath that fourth point, let me just show you what does it look like to live a life that's principle-based. Look at Psalm 37. Look at verse 1. Listen to this phrase, do not fret. That's a principle. That is a general principle that can be applied specifically to an area of your life. Do not fret. That word fret literally means to burn up over something, to get heated, to get worked up. And so in our lives, we do that a lot. We're like, I can't believe that person. I can't believe they parked so close. I can't believe they drove so slow. I can't believe they got the promotion. I didn't. I can't believe they're getting ahead and I'm not. I can't believe they're experiencing that and I'm not. And we get frustrated and we get worked up. And so one of the principles that we learn from God's word is to say, instead of fretting, instead of burning up about it, instead of getting heated about it, I'm going to stop and I'm going to choose not to fret. That is a general principle that can be applied specifically to your life. See, it changes your response. In, in, in areas of your life that you'd normally get worked up, you say, I'm going to choose not to fret. Let me show you another one. If you want to write these verses down and look back at them later, look at verse 3. He says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Again, David's writing the psalm frustrated. God, why are the wicked advancing? Why are the wicked getting ahead? Why does it seem like the people that do wrong always get the breaks? And so here's the reminder to David. Here's the reminder to us. Here's the reminder to the nation of Israel that's wondering. They're, they're tempted to go back to their old lifestyle, back to their old way of living. He says, trust in the Lord. Be faithful. David's saying, God is a faithful God, so let your faith intersect the faithfulness of God. Stop trying to make it happen yourself. See, that's a principle. That's a general principle that can be applied to specific areas of your life. I will not fret. Instead, I'm going to trust. Look at this next one. Look down at verse 4. Here's another principle. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. That verb literally means that we're brought up in luxury. That verb literally means that we've been pampered. That if you're a believer, God has richly blessed you. If you're a believer, God took your sin that you deserved to die for, and he placed it on his son, Jesus, and he placed his Holy Spirit inside of us. And so he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And so here's David saying, look, we get worked up about the stuff around us. We get so worked up about all these external things. And and so David says in the middle of verse four, delight yourself in him. You have everything you need. That's a general principle that applies to specific areas of your life. Look at this next one. Look at verse five. Commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. That's a principle. That's a principle. Uh, He's saying, set aside your burden. So often we feel like we've got to figure it out ourselves. We feel weighted down. We get so stressed out. We get so worried because we feel like we've got to carry it ourselves. And David's saying, set that aside. Commit your way. Quit trying to figure it out yourself. 
Because when you lay that aside, you can serve him more faithfully. That's a general principle that you can apply to specific areas of your life. Let me show you two others. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. He says in verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord. That's a huge, I mean, it'd be easy to read that verse and to keep moving on. But David says, look, learn how to rest. I'm not good at that. I don't know if you are. I'm not good at resting. I'm not good at waiting. So often we rush ahead and and it's hard for us to learn to be silent. It's hard for us to learn to rest in him. My mother-in-law is here this morning. She's been in town the last couple of weeks. And one of the things that I've seen in her life and my father-in-law's life is they have learned how to listen to God. There's been moments they've made decisions and they were moving forward. And then at the last moment, they pulled out. Why? Because they were waiting for God's affirmation. They were waiting for God's timing. A great example that when I'm, when, when I'm tempted to rush ahead, to pause and say, God, before I make this decision, before I have this surgery, before I jump to these conclusions, God, I'm gonna choose to wait and I'm gonna be patient. I'm gonna be patient. Then here's the last one I wanna show you. Look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. Cease from anger. Cease from anger. That's a general principle that can be applied to specific areas of your life. He says, cease from anger. And so one of the temptations for David and anybody else in the nation of Israel, when it seems like the the godless are getting ahead, when it seems like the wicked are having their way, one of the temptations is to get angry, to say, well, I'm gonna try to fix this myself without the help of God. And yet the principle is I am gonna cease from being angry. Instead, I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna apply his truth. This is huge. The secret of the Christian life isn't that we need more messages. The secret of the Christian life isn't that we need some new truth. The secret of the Christian life isn't we need another book and four principles to turn around. Really, I think the secret for most of us is to begin to say, I'm gonna apply what I know to be true and bring my life into alignment. Bring my life into alignment. Several years ago, probably uh, seven or so years ago, I, uh, I'd known Hector and Christy uh, through different ministries where we had served together, but seven or eight years ago, I uh, spent the year uh, on the road with them in the band. And so we were like in 70 or 80 different c- cities during that year. And so every, every day we'd wake up in a different city, we'd go into an arena and we'd walk into the arena and it would be completely empty. There'd be nothing there. Sometimes it would still be ice on the floor from a hockey game the night before, but we'd walk in and we'd see this room completely empty, completely empty. And it'd boggle my mind because I'd been in arenas when concerts were going on and they were filled up. And so when they're filled up, you don't think about it, but to walk in when you're one of like five people in the arena at 7.30 in the morning and it's completely empty, it's crazy. And there's a lot of cities that we went to where, where I would know based on what we were told from the, the management team that that concert was going to be sold out. It's gonna be sold out. And I'd heard of sold out concerts before, but until I saw the visual of that, that when I saw the visual of that, that's when it became real to me because we'd walk into places like the Toyota Center in Houston where there's like 20,000 seats, something like ridiculous like that. You'd walk in and all of these seats are empty. 
And then to realize that that night, that concert is sold out. What it literally means for a concert to sell out is it means that somebody, somebody's name is attached to every seat in that arena. I mean, literally on something like Ticketmaster, you could log on to Ticketmaster from the concert side and you could click your little mouse on a seat. And if that concert sold out, every seat you click on has somebody's name attached to it. It doesn't matter if it's the front row or the back row. It doesn't matter if it's in the slants or up in the nosebleed section for a concert to sell out means that somebody's name is attached to every single seat in every single section of all of the arena. That's a sellout. And a lot of their concerts sold out. You'd walk in and you'd think, man, this is crazy. Somebody has paid for every single seat in this room. But what I believe God's calling us to, and now what, is to say, I wanna live a life that's sold out. I wanna live a life that has a name attached to every single seat. And I don't want that name to be my name. I want that to be the name of God. What it means to be sold out to God is a lot the same. It means that God's name is attached to every single seat of our life. It means that God's name is attached to every single row of our life that God's name is attached to every single section, what it means to live a principle-based life, a life that says, God, I don't wanna just know the truth, but I wanna live out a truth, means that we begin to say, God, I don't want you to have every area of my life except for these five seats. It means that we quit saying, God, I'm gonna trust you with everything else except for this little row or this little section. What it means to be sold out is to say, God, you've got your name on every single seat. My thought life, my heart, my finances, my family, my work, my involvement in community. What does it mean to serve people around the world? God, you've got your name on every single seat of my life. That doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen automatically. It happens when you and I begin to say, God, I want who I am to shape what I do. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Maybe this morning, as you listen to God's word and as he stirs in your heart, maybe there's never been a moment that you've truly put your trust in him. Maybe there's been a moment that you've come alive spiritually. The way that all of this begins to happen, the way that his truth changes us from the inside out is when there's a moment that we realize we can't fix it ourselves, only he can. But there's a moment that we realize we can't take care of our sin problem, only he can. And here's what the Bible says is that God sent his own son. He who knew no sin became sin. He says in Romans 5, 8, that even while we're still sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. And he says, if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. So this morning, if that's never happened for you, there's never been a moment that you've been like David and put your full trust in Jesus, would you ask him this morning? Would you say something like, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me and save me. 
If you prayed that for the very first time, I'm gonna invite you to swing by the meet and greet room today or fill out one of the info cards. I'd love to know that so that we can put some resources in your hands that will help you grow and help you know what's next after that. Maybe today you're a believer and there's been misalignment in your life. There's areas of your life that you've been allowing what you know not to impact what you do. Today, would you make a commitment? Would you say, I'm gonna choose to trust. I'm gonna choose not to fret. I'm gonna choose to find my delight in the Lord. I'm gonna choose to wait patiently on Him. It could be during the song, you just need to sit and wait. It could be you wanna use this altar as just as a prayer point, a place to connect and say, God, I'm waiting on you. I need to hear from you. Or it could be you wanna stand and sing and use these powerful words to say, thank you for your grace. Father, across this room, help us to live in alignment between what you've called us to do and how we live. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.